0: Welcome to Flourishing Education, the podcast that provides you with conversations with experts and like-minded people who would like to see education turn into a flourishing environment for the well-being of all. So, are you ready? Let's start. hope you enjoy this session. and welcome to another powerful imperfectly perfect conversation for the flourishing education podcast Uh, today I speak with Helen Clare so Helen is a previous primary school teacher Um, she's a senior yoga teacher founder of class yoga and also creator of well ed which is a well-being in education program I'm sure we'll have opportunities to discuss that on the podcast very warm welcome Helen Hello Fabienne thank you for having me on. Mm, wonderful thank you. So Helen let's start a little bit about you so the listeners get to know you know who you are and so you said you were a previous primary school teacher. Yeah. Um, do you want to tell us a bit more about you, your, your past experiences?
1: Yes I would love to so yeah so this is going back a while but um Yes, 12 years ago, I trained as a yoga teacher after having practiced yoga for a long time, but I also wanted to work with children. So also in that same year, I started my PGCE, which is a a primary with Spanish PGCE. I didn't really know where I would end up and how I would end up combining those two things. Um, But yes, I started working as a primary school teacher down here in Cornwall. I was full-time working for a couple of years. Then I I went to supply um, because I had also started running my own yoga business and I had also started incorporating yoga and mindfulness into my teaching. So when I started doing supply I also started going into lots of schools to start sharing yoga and mindfulness with the children and then after a couple of years of that I founded my company Class Yoga so that I could start doing more of that and and really focus on that so so it was quite a an organic journey if you like from my original trainings that experience of being, being a primary school teacher and being with my pupils every day and and noticing what they really needed and the effect that yoga and mindfulness had on their overall well-being and their focus and their achievement that led me to founding class yoga and and wanting to share the benefits of yoga and mindfulness with as many kids as I can. Mm,
0: Wonderful so who what were the age of the children you usually work with? Do you stay in, in primary school settings or do you actually go also in secondary schools?
1: Yes, I go into secondary schools as well. So yes, my teaching background is in primary, but quite quickly when the word spread that I was teaching yoga in schools, I got invited in by secondary schools and that was a very daunting uh, first of all, but I love that age group as well. I love working with teenagers as much as the young children. It's a very different experience. So I had to quite quickly develop different ways of connecting with them and teaching with them. So teaching the yoga is quite different to working with the younger children. Um, So so yes, now I have experience of working from age two to, to 22 in education. And then I also teach adults yoga as well.
0: Hmm, fabulous, amazing. And um, you said that you also created the Well-Ed, the, well the being in, in Education program. So do you want to tell us a bit more about that as well? What does that yes. mean? How? Yeah,
1: so I would love to. Um, I suppose it might be useful if I, I backtrack a little bit in that, just to explain, I started going into schools, as I said, and I was teaching the children. So I would go in for a day, usually, And I'd see each class in the school and I'd I'd share a yoga session with them. Then I started getting asked to provide training for the teaching staff. So I started doing twilight sessions and CPD workshops. I also have a, a full teach yoga to children course, which I've had lots of educators come on. And then I developed an online platform to reach more schools. And we have some amazing yoga videos that schools around the world are using. But WellAd launched earlier this year and it's a combination of everything that I've done over the last decade. So it's an online wellbeing programme for schools. Parents and home educators are welcome to join it as well. It's, a, it's an online membership essentially, but it includes some really well-produced yoga and mindfulness video resources. They're in categories for age groups. So I've designed them specifically for the younger children and then the slightly older children. Soon I'll have some classes in there for adolescents, teenagers. But the key difference with Well Ed is that it also includes adults classes as well because as you know well-being really starts with us as the role models we influence so much the children around us and I I really noticed the well-being of teachers not being addressed as much as the pupils so I would always get called in to do yoga and mindfulness with the children with the pupils I suppose that's what I was mainly known for but but why not with the teaching staff as well? So that's what WellEd is. It's, it's incorporating yoga and mindfulness and other wellbeing techniques, such as coaching for, for pupils and their educators so that we have this whole school wellbeing environment that we're working towards because everybody influences everybody else. Mm, I really like that. And obviously you know,
0: the concept of flourishing mitigation is I've been anybody who knows me and has heard me sort of talk about flourishing education since I sort of looked into into it and research I've been harping on about you know flourishing education is flourishing students and flourishing staff you can't have one without the other yes um, and so completely yeah completely and utterly agree with with what you are saying um I find it really interesting what you said about being called for um mainly young people because I think and this is true also of parents so I work with some parents some parents for young people looking at you know how can you help my child flourish but very often teachers and parents don't think they have to do anything or they yes I mean
1: is that your experience too It is, yes, and it's the message that I'm trying to get across more so now. I suppose in light of the recent pandemic, perhaps that is what has brought this about and what, um, uh, you know, this change in our direction and focusing on the adults just as much as the children. But yes, it is my experience, I think, of the attention goes on to the child, because we care about our children, we care about our pupils, we care about our our own children and perhaps our well-being gets overlooked because we place so much importance on the children and the young people as teachers it's because we want them to be happy but also because we want them to be attentive and achieving as parents obviously we want them to be thriving socially and and physically and mentally well so yes I think adults well-being can be overlooked and perhaps there isn't this awareness in teachers or parents that subconsciously our children pick up on on our emotions our energy if we are stressed anxious angry frustrated all of those negative things a lot of the time then our children will start to emulate those things will start to be more anxious and angry and frustrated and resort to the habits that they see going on around them. So if an adult tries to unwind, I don't know, I think you have a negative example, with a bottle of wine or, or just a, a binge re- watching TV, then perhaps that is what the child will start to habitually turn to. Whereas if we can teach our adults a toolkit of well-being resources of things to turn to when we feel stressed anxious and angry such as a few deep breaths or going onto your yoga mat for 10 minutes or journaling whatever those techniques might be then our children will pick up on those habits as well but but it's the energy isn't it it's um we can't teach mindfulness and well-being if we aren't conveying it ourselves no and
0: also one thing that i've i've noticed and i would love your your take on that uh so for the last two over two years um at the university where i work we've been embedding well-being in the curriculum so i've often been really frustrated by the notion um and this is true you know with when i speak to colleagues it's it's true in a lot of settings in in schools and and in higher education further education colleges that there's this notion that to get better you need you go and do some yoga or do and go and do some mindfulness or go and do like reiki course and then it'll all be sorted mm. and for me you know um one notion what we've done in our French language curriculum is we've actually embedded what we know in the researchers as, as the essentials for well being. So it's yes. research led it's sort of based on you know, the, the, the research that I've, I've been doing since 2014 um, and we've seen real benefits, but that's embedding in everything we do embedding the, the well being essentials and um, and. I often feel that somehow there's this mismatch with the you, well-being is sort of like on the side it's a it, it's something that you bolt on yes um and I personally find that quite frustrating um yes I agree <laughs> so what, what you mm-hmm. know what would be your your take on that or what would you you want to see as a as a difference
1: Yes, great. I, I completely agree. Um, I think there is a shift occurring though, which is great. So, using the example of mindfulness, perhaps that is something that has been spoken about in education circles for, for quite a long time now, for several years, but it's always been something that has been considered extra. Or can we start to teach mindfulness or, you know, how do we do that? What is mindfulness? Can we start to incu- include it in our curriculum? But it's not fully understood and it's not fully lived. It, it's not realized by everyone that it's, it, that it's a way of being. It's a natural state of being to be mindful and yes, we, could, we will have these negative emotions that come up, but it's noticing them and it's coming back to the present moment and it's living from that moment. And it's that type of energy and emotion that we want to feed off to the young people around us, that we can remain calm, present and in control of our emotions so that we respond with awareness to ex- our external environment rather than impulsively reacting and potentially doing things that we regret later on so it's yes it's a culture of calm that I would love to see in more in more school environments and it's embedding like you said well-being into the day into the curriculum as just that way of being rather than as an add-on like a, a well-being lesson you know it's Okay, it could be nice to have some extra well-being time for sure, like a yoga lesson, but it's understanding the ways in which we can include it and filter it through that throughout the whole day. So with the Well-Ed program, that is one of our aims. It's to help facilitate really useful, expert-designed, well-being techniques that can be used throughout the whole school at any time of day. And that might be a simple breathing technique, um, like a guided breathing lesson that's led first thing in the morning. It might be some affirmations. It might be a short yoga lesson in the classroom or a longer yoga lesson later on in the day. But because it includes the videos, the resources for the teachers themselves, I have a course in there on mindfulness, a course in there on breathing, so that those educators can start to live that way of being and start to feel calmer and weller in themselves um, more of the time. Mm,
0: I love that. That's really good. The other thing I am quite being a linguist, I, I think the importance of language. So, you know, I, I love the, the name well. And I think another um, issue, I guess, I see with with how we approach well-being in, in our society generally, but also in education and in schools, is that for me um well-being is not presented in in a in a positive way if that makes sense so there is a lot of focus on um my first book you know for me so in the issue i have with mental health for example because mental health is, is such a positive word if you use the world health organization's definition it's a very positive word and yeah. we all have mental health in the same way that we've got physical health and social health etc and so but in the uk mental health is assimilated with the notion mental ill health and people yes. don't say that mm-hmm. um and i wonder whether there is scope or we should be i mean i don't like the word shoot shoots because there's no shirts you know it should be it's a, it's a know wanting for, for that change to happen but mm. what would happen if we taught our children how to flourish how to be well as opposed to talking about mental ill health and uh, the negatives of, of course yes if you suffer from mental ill health then by all means go and see a, a doctor and a professional and get the medical um treatment and the professional help you need mm-hmm. but the majority of 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 the time for many people it's the question of being languishing as opposed to being to having mental ill health so mm-hmm. it's uh you know uh, somebody else i've got an american friend who called it floundering um you know it's uh it, in my first book i talk about bad hair day or bad hair week or bad hair month and wouldn't it be wonderful if we could teach our young people how to handle those bad hair days or bad hair weeks Yes. what do you think
1: i i think this is such an important topic to have because it's true isn't it when when mental health is spoken about in this country and i think pretty much in the western world it's a negative thing and I think that's quite um, it says a lot about our our medical system. You know, we go to the doctor when something is wrong. We're not very preventative in our well-being and our our medicine in this country and in the West. And I think that there does need to be a shift, yes. One of the things that I want to. Help guide young people in is learning how to how it is to feel mindful, learning how to breathe fully, learning how to to move in the best way for a particular time to help themselves feel better. So, what I want to provide, I suppose, is a toolkit of of ways that we can all turn to to help ourselves feel better. So that for children, they grow up with this sort of toolkit of of knowledge and things that they know how to do to help themselves feel better. So they don't get to that point of of really bad mental health, of being mentally unwell, that they're better prepared for life so that they're more resilient. But I think there needs to be more conversation around this topic. And, and focusing on the joy of well-being, of how, it, how good it feels to be well and what we can do to help ourselves feel better every single day, rather than waiting until things get really bad. Um, yeah, so I think it's a very important conversation to, to have. I, th- it's, I think it's one of the, the main reasons we need to integrate a whole school well-being culture so that is integrated into the day, into the curriculum and not just something that's done because there's been an increase in anxiety and stress or something similar.
0: Yes, yeah, absolutely. And also because I, I, I often say, even if you don't care deeply about young people and you don't even like understand why you would want to do that for their benefit, there's a massive cost the well-being to to the fact that you know people are not well enough in in terms of the economy and everything else and i think it's so short-sighted that we're not Mm. talking about this because the well-being we know that a well population means that you have a it's linked to to a good economy anyway um you know so that there's that should be enough i guess for possibly our politicians
1: choose and <laughs> I would imagine, right? <laughs> it should be enough, yes. <laughs> I mean, time goes so quickly. Our children today are going to be adults before we know it, and they're going to be in the workforce. And, you know, why would we not want to put emphasis on well-being in the school place? Because by the time they, they grow up and they're start, starting to work, we want them to have this knowledge of how to take care of themselves so that they don't end up taking numerous sick days off work and, and costing the government. I mean, um, supply teaching costs schools millions a year, doesn't it? I forget the actual figure. Um, but yes, but exactly uh, I forgot where I was going on that but
0: <laughs> yeah the, the sort of like the economics of cost and the cost of obviously supply teaching but getting somebody replaced and you know an employment and you know sick sick days sick leave all of yes. those things
1: yeah and I guess it's just it's a short-sightedness perhaps on on the part of the people in control who who could help to free up time in our school day and curriculum, and not just time, but you know, removing some of those unnecessary exams and the stress that comes with them and helping children to flourish, helping Mm. that um, children just to be happy, learning how it feels to be happy and growing up that way so that they are happy, calm and relaxed by the time they reach adulthood.
0: Mm,
1: yes, and, and they've also developed the tools in, the, in their toolkit
0: to help them yes. handle challenges that life will throw at them, I would imagine, as well, because, yeah. because that's not, you know, that, when, I, when I teach mindfulness myself, I always say to people, I can't I can't promise you you're not going to experience another challenge. I'd be lying to you if I said to you from now on. <laughs> no more challenge. It's part of being human, right? It's that common humanity.
1: Yes. I, I don't think we can <laughs> stop practicing mindfulness and then hope to, you know, never be angry or depressed again. But yes, I think but it's noticing that those emotions are transitory, isn't it? And <sighs> and being the inner observer of our emotions and not getting attached to them. So noticing those days where we feel a bit down, considering why that might be. And once we've noticed that, oh, what what can we do now? What can I do now to help myself feel a bit better?
0: Mm.
1: But having the knowing that it is a a passing, a fleeting emotion that we will feel better soon. Yes, Mm.
0: yes, it's over. I think for me, discovering that, you know, with mindfulness is the non-judgmental awareness of whatever's coming up, that non-judgmental was probably the biggest piece um, yes. that was missing in my jigsaw because I used to to look at, you know, the mental chatter or to look at what was going on and always having a judgment. And and mm-hmm. I think with the mindfulness, is that ability to really practice the acceptance and the fact that it is what it is and you can't change things mm-hmm. um and that but that you can choose your response right like response ability that ability to choose your response to
1: whatever is in front of you yes yes i and and having that awareness of control that you know our minds are like a tool we we're in control or we should be in control and if we're not how can we regain that control and there's a lot of people who get so caught up in their thoughts and it's so easy to do, isn't it? But once we can start to have this bank of tools, you know, to to bring ourselves back to a, a more mindful state, being more present, um, then, then yeah, we can so much more easily help ourselves to feel better and to get past that negative emotion. And and not get stuck on it, and not identify with it. I hear a lot of children, as you probably have, you know, referring to, to negative traits, making them sound like characteristics, like, oh, I'm, I'm so bad at maths, or I'm so bad at sport, or, or you know, making that about themselves, um, or I'm so, or something about their personality, whereas if we can focus more on us you know our inner self and notice all the things that go on around us we can come back to that inner state of well-being learning to love ourselves more uh, being more in control of our thoughts and emotions and choosing the ones that help us to feel better rather than getting stuck on those negative ones and and repeating those negative things inside our minds
0: Mm. and and I just sort of keep thinking if I yeah, I had to go on a 10 year journey of self-development to be the person I am right now um, and it really feels like I've unlearned to be me that's what I said to someone recently it was a journey of unlearning and a lot of stripping off um and I, am sure you, you probably know that the story. But for me, it was a, it, it, I went through the story of the golden Buddha. So, um, did, mm. you, you know the story of the golden Buddha. I'm sure.
1: I think so. If, it, yeah, I think it's, <laughs> if it's yeah. the one that you mean. Mm-hmm.
0: So, so, and I just, and I just, so, so for the listeners, if you don't know, there was a golden Buddha that was covered in mud to be protected in Thailand, and they only discovered. That it was there uh, when they tried to move it and then sort of like a bit of the mud stuff came off and then they mm. just cleared it all off and it was obviously been protected by the Buddhist monk so he wouldn't be stolen when when they mm. came mm-hmm. and sort of invaded the village and i love this story because for me that's exactly what i did from childhood from childhood i learned to um, because i felt that the adults were looking at me didn't like what they were seeing so every time it was just add something more to you know to cover up almost like my light and who I am um because it was just too you know it was obviously frowned upon to be this sort of you know I think as a as a child that was quite flamboyant and quite bright and, and i was told that i shouldn't be so bright and i shouldn't be so flamboyant mm. and then i was told that wasn't good enough and yeah, all of these things and yes. so i very much feel that i've had 10 years of being ding, ding, like really chunking <laughs> off bits of mud to just direct. It. that doesn't <laughs> serve me that doesn't <laughs> serve me um and so there's a part of me that just feels I, I don't want that for my two kids for example mm. um, no, but imagine if we if like uh, the work you're doing if we teach that to our young children so they don't have to cake themselves up with mud to you know, shut down their life yeah what a difference
1: yes I think your story is the same for so many people. And yeah, I think a lot of children are made to feel like they need to fit into a box and that they have to act and behave in a certain way that they, they have to tone themselves down. And it's sad, it is sad. So yes, the, the work that I do, um, the mindful movement that I teach, it helps children and young people to reconnect to their bodies or to maintain that connection if it hasn't been lost already, uh, you know, physically and emotionally, to, to appreciate themselves, their physical body and the way that it moves, but to appreciate their, their mind control as well and learning to focus in a balancing pose, for example, but, and, but then taking that focus with them throughout the day. Learning to love themselves for who they are the way that they move in this completely non-competitive way, again, that they can take out with them into the rest of their day. And so, yes, I do think some of the tools and techniques that I share definitely help with young people in, in, in shining brighter, you know, using your words and being who they, they really are and loving themselves in that way. Mm. And I know that it can improve self-confidence and self-esteem, There's been quite a bit of research done on, on yoga done in schools and not just on the focus and attention on the teacher that it helps to promote, but also on confidence and self-esteem and, you know, just generally feeling better, standing up taller, breathing more fully, believing in themselves and what they can achieve. So, yeah, there's a lot that it can offer when it's, Mm. when it's taught in, uh, in an appropriate way. Yes.
0: And, and so you were talking about um, you know non-competitive way and 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 all of and all of the things you talk with also about the exams and the high stake exams. So mm. yoga is is obviously stems from a, and, and mindfulness stems from like Eastern philosophy um you know linked with with Buddhism, for example with the mindfulness yeah. um, and so for me, I, I think, in a way, it is it, so jarring compared to the Western philosophy, the our vision of what success looks like, and it, what we sort of suggest as a society it, it leads to happiness. Right? Mm. Um, Do you find with with some people that they view in the same way that you know we, we sort, of, sort of say right well bolt on the the mindfulness and the yoga you know go and do some yoga and mindfulness but don't include it nor embed it. Do you think that for some people uh, this is this is just a little bit too like hippie ish, <laughs> a little bit like you know, Eastern and it doesn't fit in with our society and our values and you know we should be because our children, you know, in in, in Dominique and I, when we wrote about to grow grown-up, we say our children grow in a society that is extremely competitive. And that is mm. suggesting that to our children, um, you know, subconsciously or not so sub- subconsciously, with programs like, you know, everything is a competition, mm. the bake-off, the icing, <laughs> you know, ice skating, I, uh, dancing, um, yes. you know, finding a partner, you've got to go on a special island. I mean, everything is absolutely competitive. Mm. So that's a very subliminal message that we send to our children. They turn on the TV. It's all about competition. School is about competition and comparing their grades, um, you know, yes. with their friends. Um and yet, yoga and mindfulness is about love and compassion, mm-hmm. and you know calm and peace, mm-hmm. which are such contrasting values with competitiveness and yes. individualism and all of those things. So do you <laughs> yes. come across those?
1: Yes, uh, yes, I do. <laughs> um, but I think it is starting to lessen. Um, I think there's a lot of preconceived notions about what yoga is, you know, that people wondering whether there's going to be chanting or use of a different language or oming, that kind of thing. And there can be, obviously. The way that I teach yoga is non-secular. So, you know, I won't chant. I use the sound and I use the breath for certain but I won't chant, I don't use any Sanskrit language because I want to, it to be as accessible to as many people as possible from whatever cultural background that they're from. I have had certain schools uh, say no because of the religious connotations linked to yoga. That hasn't been for a while though, that was you know, quite a number of years ago. I think people are more open to it and I think once it's seen and experienced they can see how lovely and wonderful it is. I've had teachers comment on seeing their pupils lying down relaxing at the end of the class never having seen them so calm quiet and still before but it's the routine that I take them through that enables them to get to that final state of relaxation you know that allows that, so it's not surprising that they haven't seen them in that state before. So it's, it's, I think, yoga is a very special thing when when taught right for children, and I think the non-competitive nature of it is one of the reasons why so many children enjoy it so much, and they probably don't realize it. They probably don't think about it, do they? They're, oh, this is not competitive, <laughs> but they are on their own mat, or at least in their own space. They are encouraged to to move in their own way, but guided by myself or teachers that I've trained, but to make the pose their own. So I always remind children that everybody's going to look different, even though we're doing the same pose because we all have different bodies. Some people have bendier bodies than others. Um, That really doesn't matter what it looks like, it's about how it feels inside and it's a very different concept to to lots of other things that children do like gymnastics has to be done in a certain way uh, dance should be done and performed in a certain way because it's for an audience really whereas yoga is is not for an audience it's not for anybody else it's it's for us so it, it's got to be how it feels and In the beginning, children want to show you, they want to be seen, they want to be acknowledged, which is understandable. But I notice after a few lessons, they become less um, worried about the teacher seeing them in this great looking pose and they start to, it appears to turn inward and just enjoy, enjoy the experience for what it is rather than what it looks like. Yeah, so i think more people are becoming more open to the idea of it i think I mean yoga itself has increased in popularity massively hasn't it over the last few years and yeah there's a lot of kids yoga happening out there as well so you know most people will have tried it i'm sure at some point but i think you know for schools and for teachers it's really worth doing your research and and finding a really good teacher who who is all inclusive and teaches the children for what they need at that moment in time, moment in time. So, you know, not fol- following a story and creating characters within it, which becomes less yoga. Like it's, it should be about responding to what the children need at that moment and creating a class that is either more focusing or more relaxing or more settling or calming. So, so yes, yeah, so that's one of the methods that I, I help to, train people in, Mm. to be more receptive.
0: I think think it's about finding one's path. You know, it's also part of the problem with the current schooling system is it suggests to young people that there is one set path, one way, you know, conveyor belt. There you go, GCSEA levels, degree, higher degree. That's one path, one way. And I've, I've recently started saying... Well, how about we change subtly the language and say one's path or one's way you know that little apostrophe apostrophe yes subtle change and bang that's it you've got the answer for yourself mm-hmm. um my love would that uh, illustrate what you've just said illustrate this so beautifully in the sense that and you know, then you can be okay with the fact that um, you know if you if you do downward dog for example then you know y- your downward dog might be even far more flexible than somebody else's or mm-hmm. you know whatever you're going to be doing Um, and it's not about the others it's about you and connect, reconnecting to your body and reconnecting to, to with, with you so naturally like you say going into your inner world um, yes which I guess is against something that we're not naturally taught to just explore that. Um, you know, um, I I interviewed uh Colmore, um, who's writing a book about consciousness in education. And I guess um we were saying that that, that the the spiritual aspect, you know, that is is also linked to the yoga and the mindfulness is something that for me, seems to be missing in in schooling and in education that we don't really talk about what's Mm. going on within Yes, Um, I think you find that
1: yes I was going to say I think it has a lot to do with our world being so uh externally simulated you know we're we're always looking to do stuff Mm. (laughs) so for kids they're always having to uh speak or listen or create or do Um, or watch TV, play games, uh, compete and compare compare themselves. So we're very externally driven, I think. And we, a lot of us don't spend enough time in nature. A lot of people don't spend enough time in quiet solitude or, you know, quiet time, time to turn inward, reflective time. And really that is a kind of a natural thing to do, really, isn't it? It is natural to to be a bit bored sometimes. It's natural to, to sit and do nothing sometimes. And yet I think in our society, in our culture, it's that's maybe considered a bad thing. I think we're encouraged to be very busy, always doing something. And so that's where I think this loss of ability to be calm, reflective, and turn inward has come about from and it's so funny
0: you use the word busy because i banished that word out of my vocabulary last summer um, what word is that busy i feel oh, yes, I, yes. I refuse to use the word busy mm-hmm. um simply because i've noticed that there's a badge of honor that comes with it is that mm. it's almost like yes. the busier you are <laughs> somehow it just gives you this massive badge of honor and so then it keeps yeah. you on the on the <laughs> hamster wheel even more like you just gotta be busier um, yes I yes. agree with you because again on the podcast this um, last last summer in August I spoke with my mindfulness teacher because I, I uh, we had a really crazy sort of March April May at work because we went from you know with the pandemic from like teaching to to on campus to suddenly everything online and having to change everything so it was completely crazy Mm. um and we definitely worked hard and in the summer normally i go back home to france for three weeks and when i arrived there i just could not switch off i just Mm. couldn't my mind was just buzzing and i didn't last so guy I sort of texted my mindfulness and I said, I need to speak to you because I just can't switch off what's going on. <laughs> and he made me laugh because on the podcast he said, But Fabienne, you've only changed the wallpaper. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know, <laughs> okay, I get it. And I think the problem is also our society views. With the with the being proud of being busy and being on the hamster wheel and the treadmill, there's also a notion that we being idle, mm-hmm. you know, idleness is like being lazy. Yeah. So you were talking about doing.
1: Mm. We
0: we encourage to do, but being is is so not encouraged, right? Yes.
1: Yes, it's not. Yeah, you're right. Exactly. Um, I suppose play, playtime is the closest that our young people come to just being rather than doing, because I think in play, they can get absorbed in it and, mm-hmm. and not think and just enjoy um, until perhaps it becomes a bit too competitive. And then they, they start to get a bit stressed and anxious about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but as adults, we, we generally don't take time to play. I mean I mean, hopefully most of us are taking time out to exercise and and do something that makes us feel good and that we enjoy. but but it's generally usually is part of a busy schedule, isn't it? So mm. yes. and 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 also,
0: play for for adults is like childish. you you I mean, you you cannot be an adult and be playful <laughs> and you know, you wouldn't be considered sort of like taken seriously
1: if you Mm. if you you wanted to play all the time right yes yes or or it's a luxury you know taking time out to to do something that you enjoy going for a three-hour run or going to a three-hour yoga workshop is considered quite a luxury oh Mm -hmm. you know what a nice treat um but that's got to be a good thing, a good thing to to treat ourselves with that time out for our bodies and our minds to feel good. Mm. And I think that fits in again, you know, that goes back
0: to what we were saying about teachers and parents not looking after themselves or not caring for their for their well-being and sort of focusing on the children is that Mm. with that notion of well you have to give 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 and um, until your cup's completely empty yes. um not realizing because it's actually yeah in the same way that I, I wonder if it's linked to all those beliefs that we have about like the idleness and uh and that it's selfish to be putting yourself first um instead of looking after others, um, you know, I wonder whether that is part of the paradigms and the things that we are being taught as children.
1: Mm, I think it's a long-standing part of our culture that we need to be busy and that we need to be caring for other people before ourselves. And I think more and more people are starting to realize or hear that they should be looking after themselves before Mm. others, but maybe not with acting on that Mm -hmm. um but there's research that shows that a mindful teacher has much more of a positive effect than a teacher who merely tries to teach what mindfulness is Mm -hmm. so it's very clear that we it's how we come across that has the most impact and not Mm -hmm. just the things that we try to teach yeah yeah
0: well yes because it's also you know if if you teach mindfulness and then like then you're just
1: running around like a headless. <laughs> but <laughs> <Well>, yes <laughs> we can't really teach something that we don't practice ourselves
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's a, you know um and i guess i guess that comes with the with the at the beginning of the practice right that you just becomes right well, i i meditate and then i just get on i go back to my normal
1: life <laughs> <laughs>
0: Not realising,
1: like you said, that it's a way of life and that actually becomes part of who yes. you, you are, effectively. Yes, yes. yes. So, and it's very obviously very possible to achieve all the things that we want to do in life, but remain calm, happy and relaxed. That We don't have to be busy and stressed and working ourselves every hour of the day to, to be successful. Um, and I think we can actually be more successful in life when we find more joy in it when we allow ourselves that time to to feel good to be calm and to connect with others
0: yeah and I think you know there's that definition of success how do you define Mm, success? because success is it a financial success is it money is it money in the bank and is it six or seven figure you know A Mm -hmm. turnover which some people are chasing or is it something else um and and very often those who seem to be more joyful and happier in life um they're not always those who've got the six seven figure Sort of you know they might be but that's mm-hmm. not the <laughs> the one thing that always comes up um you yes. know it's, it's it's a lot of the people tend to be that knowing their inner world as well as their outer world right
1: exactly yes I mean there's no point in earning a big income if you don't have the time to to enjoy it or to, the time to enjoy being with your family but Also, it is that recognition of inner happiness, not just the external success that we can Mm. achieve. And I think that's something that we need to definitely share more with our children and young people. Getting them to consider, you know, what is being successful? What would I really like to achieve in life? And and having goals such as jobs and, you know, having a good income is a good thing, but, but actually learning to be happy with themselves and finding the best ways to help do that. Mm,
0: yeah, it's, it's actually really interesting. I was, I was recently talking to a, a former student who um, who graduated last year and after graduating completely fell apart because she didn't know what she wanted to do. Mm. She, she got really good, like two one, but you know, just didn't know what to do. Um, and she said to me, I, I, I thought that would be it after having my degree i would be happy and i would move on to like you know getting a good job a good graduate scheme and actually i started the graduate scheme and just realized oh my god if that's the rest of my life then i'm not sure i want to continue
1: yeah.
0: um and it, that's sad i know it's so sad and and i think yeah, being at the end of uh, of uh, of higher education. So like, you know, the end of the schooling system effectively. That's why I felt so strongly about changing and, you know, introducing that flourishing. Because I just sort of think, my goodness, if you finish with your degree and you feel like this, then somehow as educators, I feel we failed, you know, <laughs> because we've not prepared you for... <laughs> Beyond education and being the lifelong learner, and you know, wanting
1: to to work and contribute to the world, right? Yeah, you mentioned that conveyor belt earlier on. I think it's a little. Our schooling system is a little bit like that. People or children can sort of see their path ahead: i do my exams, my GCSE, my A levels, I go to university? Not always considering if that's the best path for them, if that's actually something they want to do, and just. Going down that route anyway, whether it's because it's expected of them or just because they haven't thought about not doing that. Yeah. Yes. Um, well, I
0: think it's, it's possibly because the system doesn't really mention any other path, right?
1: Right, yes. It's
0: like that. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. if you fall off, then you know, there are other paths, but they're not really the most recommended path. <laughs> I guess it's like they and when you talk to young people it's really interesting because they all say that they all say well what else am i supposed to do you know um and i remember when i arrived in the uk in the sort of 97 not long after that in sort of early 2000s when blair was sort of talking about education 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 you know that strap line where everybody needs to be educated. And I, I, I have nothing against that notion that people should be educated because we know that obviously the more educated you are, you know, the more knowledge, you, not knowledge, but the more yeah, educated your education, if it's good, then you, mm-hmm. you're more likely to be successful in life. So there's this correlation. Um, but it doesn't mean that you need to follow that one path, that it has to be you know, a degree mm-hmm. immediately. I think some of our students would actually benefit from being at university after two or three years of doing something else, you
1: know, like yes, yeah, I think so, yes. Because most young people don't really know what they want to do. I mean, when it gets to that point of choosing your degree, most, most people that age have no idea what they really want to do in life. So, I, yeah, I definitely think a year or two gap year is probably a very good idea to experience the world, yeah. uh, you know, have some time out of the education system and then come back to it if they want if they decided what they would like to pursue more
0: yeah and I mean look at your case I often say to, to, I'm talking at my my eldest is choosing his options at the minute please and they talk about choose the options that you know based you, what you want to do in life and he was looking at me and you went I don't know. And I went, don't worry, love. I said, I'm I'm going to be 47 this year. I still don't know what I want to do for a living for life. (laughs) Don't worry about it. And you you also an example in the sense that you said you were a previous primary school teacher. And then you decided to go and teach yoga. So there you go. Another example, (laughs)
1: right? Yes. And neither of those are the jobs I thought I would do, you know, when I was at school. I can remember very clearly when I was waiting for my GCSE results and I started panicking that I wasn't going to do very well and I remember saying to a friend, oh if I don't do well then I won't get to do the A levels that I want and then I won't get to do the university course that I want because at that point I thought I wanted to be a a translator so I was really into languages and I went on to do that degree. I did a a degree in modern language studies but then that's nothing to do with what I'm, I'm now doing in life so even when you're young and you think you know what you want to do, it's probably not <laughs> what you're actually going to end up doing, and so it's not worth worrying about. So, I think uh, having a parent like you and saying, "Oh, you know, don't worry, it doesn't matter. Just do what what you what you enjoy,"
0: yeah.
1: is yeah. great
0: to the to the limit of what school permits. Uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's yes. The <laughs> <laughs> the other issue he... Like, uh, You've got, they're called options but they're not
1: really options limited restricted options <laughs>
0: yeah that, and that's what my 13 and a half year old said to me last night he said they call it options but i have to they say you've got to do english math by triple science history um Because he's good at languages, he's doing Spanish and because we obviously speak French, we're going to try and get him to do his French GCSEs because if he decides to want to do, you know, why not? It's an easy GCSE to be honest, that one. Um, And then, uh, what am I missing? It's literally out of those 10 that he's got to do, he's already got seven that are
1: set. Mm so it doesn't leave that many options really no, at the, end so of the, day.
0: The, the ones that so I was like <laughs> the the three you can choose choose like the ones that is gonna really make your heart sing mm. and that you're gonna really enjoy and it's gonna help you get your hair down and really like relax a bit more compared to those days so if you feel you haven't really had a choice um mm. that's so important isn't it the
1: Downtime. Yes. 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 Mm. Um yeah, I think there's a lot of young people who choose their options and um, thinking about their future and what is going to help them and enable them to be more most successful. And that was the case for me. So I didn't choose PE, even though I really enjoyed it, because I didn't think it was going to be that useful later on, which is a shame. Mm. Mm. And Maybe there needs to be more encouragement around those, you know, even if it's just those final three options, that encouragement to just do something that you love to do. Yes. Yeah. Without well, worrying about the future.
0: In the well, going back to sort like this is very much mindfulness, right? It's um, also say to to Tom, all you have is now, right now. Don't worry yes. about next year or even Mm -hmm. five years time. I said, I hope you you get to five years time, but nobody knows, love. I mean, yeah, COVID can't have shown us that more, you know, any better, right? Mm. That we shouldn't worry about what's gonna happen tomorrow because Mm. there's no... Yeah. And I don't know, I mean, I don't know if you teach that in, in your classes, but this is the, one of the things that I get the most pushback on, possibly, when I talk to my friends or I talk to people. So I'm someone who sort of very much, you know, every day I practice, when I wake up I practice gratitude that, right? hey, well, one extra day on planet Earth, that's yes. the first thing I said to myself. <laughs> I woke up, some people didn't wake up, so that's a, that's a bonus, right?
1: Yes. Um, I think we've all got to count our, our blessings, our gratitudes every morning. Yeah, so we yeah. should. Mm.
0: Yes, and so um, this is what I do. I wake up and I say, oh, thank you for an extra day on planet Earth. And then I wiggle my toes and I wiggle my hands. And that means, and I also can move. So that means I'm going to get out of these bed unaided. Second bonus, because lots of people will need carers to support them, and yes. I'm lucky. And that Mm -hmm. shifts my mood. So, you know, even if you wake up and it's half six and you don't really want to get up, then actually that just automatically makes you feel better. Yes. Um, But a lot of people actually, when I talk about the notion of an extra day on planet Earth and, uh, you know, that notion of, well, all I have is the present moment, I get a lot of pushback on people because people don't like to talk about the, You know the d word (laughs) it's a a dirty word the death word is a is a really dirty word in our society Mm. and I wonder if that also contributes to you know it should be more part
1: of the conversation Mm. yeah that's really interesting I think it's uh, a lot of people live in fear and I suppose not wanting to talk about death is from a fear-based perspective, mm-hmm. isn't it? Where, whereas it's it's just part of nature, it's gonna happen. Mm-hmm. And I think helping people to be more present and grateful for that present moment is a wonderful gift to to help share with more people if they're not already experiencing it. So it is something that I teach quite subtly, I suppose, but in my yoga and mindfulness classes with children, I get them to consider what they're grateful for you know what what has happened today that you're grateful for Uh, you know even if it's just in their head they don't have to verbalize it to me I get them to learn how to appreciate their body if they can considering what what they are what are they grateful about their body today you know what have their hands enabled them to do where have their feet and their legs been able to take them um (laughs) what has their stomach been able to enjoy eating today so quite simple things but that are probably not considered on a day-to-day basis otherwise mm-hmm. Like,
0: mm-hmm.
1: learning to be grateful and practicing gratitude is so valuable yes. yeah yeah so powerful
0: Sim- uh, so simple and powerful and I think sometimes the mind wants to it almost overlooks it because it's so is so simple it's too simple it can't be that easy so that's why we as human beings,
1: we like to, to complicate things. Yes, we do. Yes. And that's when stress and worry and anxiety comes in as well, isn't it? So we, we like to attach ourselves to a future possibility, or this mm. might happen or that might happen. I should start worrying about that <laughs> or oh, that happened yesterday. I should still be worrying about that and trying to do something about it rather than just ah, stopping breathing and enjoying the present moment. and releasing and letting go of those stress and anxieties mm. which don't exist in the present moment no and, and I think
0: what I love the most about and, and this podcast is a great example is that um, when you do that magic happens mm. so you know we've been talking for an hour and it feels like it's been 10 minutes right Oh, wow. Yes. (laughs) You're right. (laughs) (laughs) To me, that is exactly, you know, that's like the prime example, right? It's just when you allow yourself to be in that present moment and to flow, Mm. it's it's like magic happens. Mm. It's just, there's nothing else. No, I don't have any other words to describe (laughs) it.
1: Yes. Um mindful magic, yeah.
0: No, mindful magic. I, I
1: love it. It's really <laughs> cool. So, um, Helen, we've been speaking for
0: an hour, would you <laughs> believe it? It's awesome. <laughs> and I've loved every minute. Um, but I'm conscious of your time. So um, when I round up with my guests, I always ask them, you know, if you had one or two things that you want you would want the listeners to take
1: away from our conversation what would that be as adults working with children whether it's as a parent or a teacher i think we always have to remember that we're role models either you know intentionally or unintentionally if we're spending time with children they will somehow emulate us so focus on your own well-being, take time for yourself, learn how to feel good, learn how to read your emotions, be in control of your mind more of the time, and learn the tools to help yourself feel better. Practice mindfulness, don't consider it something extra to make time for, even if you have to take a few lessons, it it will then become part of your day. Um, Have fun, try to be calm, and just remember that the children around us always pick up on our energy so I think the best thing we can do for our children's mental health and well-being and feeling better in themselves is to look after ourselves and be that well role model around them I
0: love that that well role model around
1: them that is beautiful hmm. thank you Helen oh uh, thank you Fabienne for having me
0: I loved it thank you so much Thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. I hope you really enjoyed it, and we hope to see you soon. In the meantime, take care, and we hope that you are flourishing.